Hello, and welcome back to the Quacked Out Pod. Reed, it's hate week. I'm Charlie. He's Reed. It's hate week. It's time to hate. What are you hating this week? I'm hating every all the trolls on Twitter. That's where it starts. Uh, that's what the hate's fed by most for me. Uh, I just hate well, whoever it is. I don't know. Some of the Huskies I kind of actually don't hate, but like Wilbur, he's funny. Uh, I don't know. There are some okay ones, but some of them are really horrible. Who do you hate? Oh, man. The list is too long, but um, I hate uh, Andre Ware is who I hate this week. That's a good um, one. Huh? That's a good one. I hate Brock Heward. I honestly, I don't hate Brock Heward. I think he does a really good job. Um, this week I hate him. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, I hate his brother. That one's an easy one. Um, I hate Kalen DeBoer. I hate the state of Washington. Uh, I don't know. I hate everything affiliated with the color purple, including number four TCU, but we'll get to that later. Um, Hate them this week. Gotta hate TCU this week. It's a very good time to start hating TCU, in my opinion. Um but again, we, we will get to that. Uh, it's Hate Week, Oregon-Washington. Um, if you are unfamiliar with the term or with the rivalry, then you're you're in the wrong place. Uh, I don't know if I've ever seen a rivalry grow so much so fast. Like, when I was – we've talked about this on the pod in previous years. When we were kids, I didn't really hear much about this rivalry. To be honest, I didn't even really know it was a rivalry until I was like 10 or so. Uh, for those at home, that's 2010. Yes, we are that young. <laughs> when did you realize that this was actually a rivalry? I think, honestly, um, hmm, I mean, probably what we went there for game day in 2013. Maybe it was. Uh, yes, that that was definitely stood out. But I think even more than that. Um, when I when we were in high school and leading up to that seventy twenty one game, I think was like when I really was diving into it and like okay twelve straight this really means something to me because it was the first time that I went into a Washington game and felt like that was really uh, at threat. Um, honestly, even at, with that game yeah. day performance in twenty thirteen, those Oregon teams just you had confidence that they were going to roll uh, in twenty sixteen. Yeah. yeah. We all know what happened in the end, but it certainly felt different even leading up to that. The The funny thing about that 2016 game is I had like, I had a teacher who was a UW fan. She always had a Huskies flag, like in the room, right in front of me. I swear she sat me in front of that flag on purpose. Um, and I, like, I knew a couple people that were Huskies fans. I was going around as a 16 year old, like asking for bets on that game. I had such irrational confidence that the Ducks would continue the streak. I was literally taking, like, I was offering $10 bets to people. And nobody would take me. Obviously, my teacher isn't going to, like, bet sports <laughs> against their students. But, like, the, the kids I knew who were UW fans still wouldn't take the bet straight up for $10. Bucks, um, which was, in hindsight, like, that's pretty insane. But, um, I don't know. I just think that's kind of a, a nice demonstrative story about how lopsided this rivalry was i mean even at their best they still felt like they they might trip up against the worst oregon team in our lifetimes really um so 
we don't need to explain to the listeners like how much this rivalry means, how much you know these two sides hate each other, anything like that. I will refer people to. I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to this, but on the Conzano and Wilner show, they had Rich Brooks, legendary Oregon coach, on, and he had some great stories about the rivalry and um, just I don't know relating to college football in general. I, I would highly recommend that if you haven't checked it out yet. Um, other than that, uh, do you want to get into how this game might actually go? Yeah, one thing real quick. I was trying to look up the line on that 2016 game just for fun. Uh, it, yeah. It says it was six and a half for Washington. If that's true, that is absurd. <laughs> um, that, yeah. yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know who was doing that, but um, yeah, it certainly wasn't that close, unfortunately. Also, like Oregon – didn't we know we were starting Herbert in that game or something? Uh, I don't know. I, I've scrubbed a lot of that season from my memory. but As have I. Um, anyways, in this season's edition, uh, the spread is 13.5 in favor of your Oregon Ducks. Second to last home game of the season. Obviously, again, obligatory mention, Oregon hasn't lost at home since 2018, knock on wood. But... Uh, this Huskies team might pose a couple problems for the Ducks that they haven't had to deal with yet. Um, and as we'll get to in more depth, Reed, I don't know about you, I'm more concerned for this game than I was for the UCLA game. Do you agree? I think I was slightly more concerned for UCLA, but I understand it. Uh, I think the main matchup, to just go right into it, is this is the best receiver core that Wash- that Oregon's faced all year in Washington. It's probably better than the Georgia one. Uh, There's certainly a debate to be had there, but these guys are playing as well as any group in this conference, which is impressive given the collection of receiver talent at USC and Arizona, among other places. Uh, They are legit, and it matches up with an area that has been a weakness going into the season and throughout the year for Oregon, which is their secondary outside of Christian Gonzalez. Uh, So that's... I'll, I'll throw it out right there. That's the biggest area I'm looking at going into this game. Yeah, I agree. Um, you hit it on the head. No matter how many times like ESPN overpraises Michael Penix, he's still good. Like we, we still have to keep that caveat, even in the swirling wind. Um, <laughs> he, he can still throw the ball a little bit. Has Oregon faced a downfield passing offense as good as this all year? I don't think so. I mean, Georgia didn't need to throw it past the line of scrimmage to beat Oregon. Mm-hmm. Of course they did on a couple occasions, but they didn't really need to. Uh, UCLA didn't really have, as we previewed and as it bore out in the game, like they didn't really have a, a lot of downfield passing offense. a lot of dink and dunk, like scrambling stuff by DTR. Uh, so Penix is certainly a different challenge. And I think you mentioned USC. This also might be a good foil to see how Oregon can play against a team like this uh, and like USC that, that really wants to air it out. Um, I mean, what's the most comparable opponent, do you think, that Oregon has faced so far this year compared to Washington? I think Maybe Arizona? Yeah, I, that's where I was going to go. They're probably closest to a rich man's Arizona. Uh, <laughs> but it's hard. I mean, especially I think a big difference is Arizona's offensive line is garbage and Washington's is not horrible, especially in pass protection. They've been pretty solid. Um, they actually are, let me pull this up real quick. They're top 20, I think in sacks allowed so far, they only have seven on the season, which 
Uh, yeah, fewer than one per game. Yeah, <laughs> might sound like a lot compared to Oregon's one sack allowed, but actually is <laughs> is very little compared to the rest of the country. Uh, so it's like a normal good number, not an off the charts good number. <laughs> exactly. Um, so that makes this matchup a lot different than the Arizona one. Not to mention that I just think the passes, the different components of the passing attack are better i think Penix is a more consistent thrower than delora and arizona's wide receivers are really good i think washington's are every bit on that level i would say uh you could argue either really? way but i think it yeah i mean i really i really have a ton of respect for washington's passing core uh passing receivers i think that adunze is in the conversation for the best receiver in the league. Uh, Jalen Polk is a guy who is a transfer who Bud Elliott talks about a lot. Like he was, he was someone who went under the radar and he got, he had one of those injuries his senior year, uh, kind of like in the time when a guy like him would have been bumped up from a mid to low four star to like a top 100 guy. Um, and Bud was like, yeah, we were about to make that move, but didn't because the injuries happened uh, and we didn't get to see enough film on him during his senior year. But he's a dude. Uh, Jalen McMillan, also an absolute dude. I think like those are three guys that, um, you know, I think Troy Franklin could be thrown in the conversation with those three. But I think they have three of the four best receivers on the field probably on Saturday. Yeah, I I mean, now that you mentioned those names, I, I have seen them play well, and it sounds nice on paper, so we'll see if it can translate. But, um, I mean, Reed, we were both watching that Washington-Oregon State game last week, uh, and this is also the point where I bring up the Arizona State game that Washington lost earlier this season. It's going to go down as, like, one of the worst losses by any Pac-12 team this season. Um, in terms of, like, caliber of opponent, differential uh, mm -hmm. and who actually won the game what's the common denominator in both those games uh it was michael Penix throwing a pick six now it's not <laughs> the pick six he threw against asu not necessarily all his fault but um you know we saw in that oregon state game like he can be inconsistent passing the ball i agree he's more consistent than delora um but i, I don't know i think hopefully oregon pressuring the quarterback is something that can sustain more success against the pass than we've seen in in the past um which speaking of we didn't even do a colorado recap because we played colorado who cares um but short and sweet version i wasn't super impressed with the defensive showing in that game um i mean we talked about it in our preview like anything colorado does positively is a bad sign for us. Mm -hmm. um, and they were kind of getting what they wanted. They had an explosive play. Like, what was that, 81-yard touchdown um, early in the game? So, I don't know, man. Uh, because of those, because of the, that downfield threat we keep talking about, I am a little bit more nervous than I was for, for that UCLA game again. Um, but how about the other side of the ball? There's no good reason Washington's defense should be able to pass or to beat Oregon's offense um, consistently throughout this game. Uh, I mean, I think it's safe to say, despite the explosiveness we just talked about with Washington, like Oregon's offense is better, right? I mean, we should be able to win in a shootout. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's the difference for me between the UCLA matchup. Uh, I, I can hear the argument 
completely uh, that you could say Washington's offense is more threatening than UCLA's offense was to us, particularly because of the matchup with the downfield passing. But Washington's defense is much, much worse than UCLA's. Uh, and that lack of resistance just... I, it would be truly surprising to me if Oregon didn't get to the 40 mark in this game and continue that streak uh, because... Well, I mean, twofold. I think, one, Washington's defense is very bad. Their passing defense is horrific. Their run defense, despite stacking the box to help it, is not good either by any stretch. <laughs> uh, the best component they have on defense is probably their pass rush, which might not even be good. And Oregon's pass protection has been probably the best in the entire country i mean in terms of raw stats by far so that makes me feel like how could you say that washington's going to pose any threat on that side of the ball and on top of it i think they're not particularly aided by their offense which isn't built to hold a lead at all right it's built mm -hmm. to pass they're i they're not a good running team and oregon's among the better run defenses in the conference so I think, you know, if the Ducks get behind in this game, Washington is like a team that's built offensively, like without any breaks, you know, there's no way mm -hmm. to slow themselves down and conserve a lead and play conservative. They're going to keep throwing the ball and maybe it's a situation where they just torch you and they do what they did to Michigan State uh, and they put up, you know, 50. Uh, mm hmm and just keep going throughout like they did in the first half of that game. But I think more likely than not, the mistakes will come. Uh, and that's a big thing. Like, I'm glad you mentioned that on Penix because for Washington fans, probably the only glimmer of hope to stopping the Ducks offensively is let's hope for a bad Bo Nix game. <laughs> but you could say the, with a far more credible case based on this season – the inverse of that that Penix is going to be the guy who throws the key pick six that swings the game one way or another mm -hmm. yeah and I believe Washington are without a couple DBs as well mm -hmm. um I can't remember exactly who they are but that, that could be a difference obviously we know what Oregon's receiving core can do um it's funny like when I think of good Pac-12 receiving cores we've mentioned USC Washington and Arizona like, we have to put Oregon in there at some point. Um, the Ducks have a really, really good receiving core, and we have to res respect ourselves. Um, you mentioned Washington's unwillingness or maybe it just inability to run the ball. 40.5% success rate. Uh, that's less than 41%. That's in the 55th percentile in the country. Not good. Mm -hmm. uh, Oregon's run success rate, 57.5%. You want to guess what rank that is in the nation? uh it's really high isn't it it's um how about first first there you go yeah yeah <laughs> that is very high kick out of everyone <laughs> uh data from stats of war parker on twitter obviously um again i'm looking at washington's defensive success rates about 44 percent that's straight up bad oregon's is not any better really um we'll see how it shakes out again we're talking about oregon's offense as being good and we use these words good and bad as if they, you know, keep their intrinsic value with every time we use them. Um, 
when I say Oregon's offense is good, it is like best in the country good right now. It's insane yeah. off the charts. Um, again, college football graphs has it as has it as the best in the country. Um, Beta Rank, which is Rob Bauer, and he, he does he uses good numbers too. Um, they're third in the Pac-12 in offensive beta rank, but not trailing far behind USC and UCLA. Obviously, that um, the sharp culture of all beta rank stats don't include the Eastern Washington FCS game, so there's that. Um, but in general, I mean, there's no reason why Oregon shouldn't be able to score at will against this Washington defense. And if from a game perspective, that should equate to pretty much the same game script as we had against UCLA. Obviously, I, I think the Huskies might be a little more prepared for something like an onside kick, but who's to say a turnover can't replace something like that or just a defensive stop? Um, which, by the way, I, I heard you guys, you and Carlos arguing uh, <laughs> this week on No Truck Stops about what constitutes a stop. Um, and I'll stump for you. Field goals are stops in games like these. Um, in the Pac-12, with all the high-flying offenses we have, Forcing a team to kick a field goal is a win on defense. Um, for as bad as both of these defenses have been all year, uh, if you see either, key, either team settling for a field goal, settling meaning like, you know, within reasonable distance, not like just trying one from like 50 yards or something, um, that's a win for the defense, even if it goes in. So I don't know what... <sighs> What other matchups are you looking forward to in this game? We mentioned Washington's offense against Oregon struggling DBs. I mean, I'm really thinking about Oregon's defensive line getting a push. Something that got brought up on uh, Split Zone Duo this week, one of my favorite college football pods, probably my favorite, um, is getting interior pressure with your defensive line, right? That's how Georgia really shut down Hendon Hooker in that Tennessee game is Jalen Carter was in his face from the middle. If someone's pressuring a quarterback from the middle on a passing down, there's, there's not a lot of options for you. Um, you can't really run around a whole lot. You know, ed edge pressure is one thing. Like, you can scamper away from that. Uh, but if Brandon Dorless or, like, <laughs> Taki Taimani, that would be pretty funny, Jordan Riley, <laughs> Keon, like, if those guys can get some pressure up the middle on passing downs, which is most downs for Washington, I'd feel a lot, a lot better about Oregon's chances to win this game. I completely agree. I don't, I think it's one of those areas where it's not a necessity. Like it's a game that Oregon's offense, if something, you know, doesn't go horribly wrong, there's every reason to believe, believe Oregon's offense should get to 40. So that means like this defense needs to find one, two, three stops on the day. Like it's not a huge ask that you're giving to the defense and, one of the ways to do that would be forcing interior pressure. The other way would be the passing defense finds a few times where three plays in a row, they can hold up and get you to a fourth and 10 and you have to punt. Um, mm -hmm. The other way is they a couple one-off plays like we had against UCLA where the ball is, you're in a position to make an interception and you actually come down with it. Like it's, <laughs> yeah, it's a multiple choice and you just have to get one of them. You don't even need all three of them. Like any of these would satisfy the requirement to win this game probably because unless we have a completely uncharacteristic performance from the Oregon offense, like I said, this, you know, there's no reason to think that Oregon shouldn't score 
40 or more in this game. Um, and like Oregon scored 40 in these games, but has most of the time been playing conservative late and against UCLA. Like if Oregon really needed to put an extra touchdown or two on there, they probably could have ditto against pretty much all these opponents, Cal, Colorado, Arizona, down the line, pretty much except for the Washington State game, like they've been in a situation where, if anything, they've held themselves back late in games from putting on extra points, whether to get in the backups in or just bleed out the clock. So, like, yeah, you just need to do something. Yeah. Just stop them somehow is, is really and the there's task. a There's a stat for running out the clock like that, not necessarily, but you know, inexplicitly it's called rushing rate over expected, uh, and Oregon has a plus 0.8%, which is, uh, you know, basically saying they rush the ball slightly more than other teams would in similar situations. Mm -hmm. Uh, for context, Washington has a negative 13.2% rush rate over expected, meaning even when they should run the ball or when other teams think they should run the ball, they're still going to throw it, uh, like a lot more. Um, so that it's not necessarily a, a stat measuring if a team is good or bad by any stretch. Mm -hmm. Um, it's just more of a decision based metric. Um, I think here's another thing to watch definitely is in line with this, you know, advanced statistics and some of the things that show how these different teams play. One thing about Washington's offense, if you look at that same advanced stats preview from, from Parker on Twitter, uh, is an early down success rate. Uh, their percent of first downs on first and second down, they rank 101st in the country. Wow. But their yeah. third down conversions are number one in the country with a 58% success rate. Oregon has been very bad against third and fourth downs this season. So because they, I mean, this is kind of makes perfect sense, right? Like if you throw mm -hmm. the ball a lot, there's probably going to be a lot of times where on first and second down, you have an incompletion or an incompletion in a small gain and you get into a third down more often than teams that just run the ball for six yards per carry. But mm -hmm. uh, that means like there's probably going to be a lot of third downs on Saturday. And based on the numbers, more times than not, you will expect Washington to convert them. Uh, and if they're smart, based on the numbers, they probably will go for it a lot of times on fourth downs, even in, you know, unconventional situations because of their advantage uh, based on the stats in those situations between these teams two splits on the season. So I expect that to happen a lot. And again, because of the nature of this being a shootout, Oregon by no means needs to hold Washington to a 20% conversion rate on third downs. If they could hold them to 70% or 60%, that might not be a good number at all, but it might be enough to win this game because of the success we expect Oregon's offense to have. Uh, so you just yeah. need to break even somehow on there. And on the other side of that, uh, Oregon is 116th on third down third and fourth down defense as you just mentioned so one of the 15 teams in the entire country that are worse than them the washington huskies on third down <laughs> third and fourth down defense 50 percent success rate um meaning 50 literally half the time that a team goes for third or a third or fourth down against washington they get the first down that's really really bad rate um it's also funny, I'm noticing a discrepancy between uh, 
Washington's success rate on first and second down defense versus their EPA on early downs. Um, Their EPA is very bad, but their success rate is very good. So to me, that says a lot of three and a lot of four yard gains essentially is what that means. Um, Probably run plays because teams still usually run on off on first down on offense. Um, And a lot of like third and shorts being set up. Uh, So, (laughs) I mean, again, you can, you can zoom in on like any sort of, you know, earlier in the UCLA game, I said, you know, zoom in on third downs on defense. Those are what are going to win the game. In this game, I mean, you can zoom in on whatever you want, but I think the one thing I'm really going to be looking for in this game is if Washington pops the top off this defense, then we got a problem. If they're hitting explosive plays over the top, um, that's when we really, really have an issue. Wasn't super impressed with how Steve Stevens did in that Colorado game. Uh, you know, he and Brian Addison, probably the, you know, relative weak points of this defense. If we're talking about just a a pure, you know, talent standpoint, um, I'm no defensive mastermind, so I couldn't tell you like how they work into a scheme or anything like that, especially because we literally can't see them on, on these modern broadcasts. Um, but I mean, I think back to like, this is a really weird comparison, but bear with me. Uh, if you remember back to the Georgia Alabama game in 2020, the key to that game was like, if Alabama's insanely good receivers got one big play on Georgia, the rest of the offense opens up for Alabama. That might be how it goes in this game. Um, So pay attention to how Oregon's defense responds. If they do get beat over the top at all, Um, do they still commit to, you know, do they still commit to whatever, whether it's zone or like cover two defense they were using beforehand, um, or do they switch it up, maybe even put more protection back there, uh, and then we'll see if Washington can run the ball. So remember, it's a game of adjustments, right? It's not just like, here's what one team is good at, here's what the other one is. Uh, great teams have to find ways to adjust. So we'll see if this defense can do that. Yeah, I, um, I completely agree there. Uh, I, I mean, overall, I'm excited for this game. I think... In general, you know, we can shift to conversation about like some of the season and the playoff rankings we'll get to later on. But honestly, at this point, this is just the way I look at it is an opportunity to just win one more game for Oregon. And it has special implications because of the rivalry involved. But overall, I think we've been in a situation, you know, in 2019, Oregon was ranked uh in the top six in the second playoff rankings that came out in 2021 Oregon was ranked third in the first in the second playoff rankings that came out so Oregon's Mm -hmm. been here before in the late stretch of the season with a shot to make the playoffs and we can talk about whether that's you know something we want or how that calculus has changed after this last weekend but in general one thing for me is I'm I'm not going down the route of looking ahead too far. And I think that hopefully that's probably the feeling inside the program and inside the team as well is like Oregon's, you know, had positions where they thought they could get somewhere, but they haven't taken care of business in one game. Um, and this is another, you know, opportunity to just get one game closer to it. And I think luckily the, like next four weeks for Oregon really mandates that they are on their game versus every single opponent. 
I don't think there really mm-hmm. is a stereotypical look ahead spot. Like, how are you going to ignore this rivalry against Washington? And then how will, you know, obviously you can't ignore the Utah game based on what happened last year. And then it's, you know, a road trip to Corvallis. That's going to be important um, and, you know, bring challenges that will have the player's attention. And then it's the Pac-12 title game. I don't think there's as much variance in like, okay, we really pay attention to this game, but, oh, that road trip to Tempe, what could go wrong there? You know, like I <laughs> I think that hopefully there'll be a little more consistent focus in this one. It's funny because in a lot of ways, Oregon's early the, – the fact that Oregon has a loss in week one kind of protects us from – like remembering it you know it was so long ago that you can hardly even remember like you can't recapture that feeling of utter disappointment that you felt um after week one right i can't think of anything bad to say about dan landing and his staff right now (laughs) um there's still room for that to change like Mm -hmm. i think we forget that we were in pretty much the same position in almost the same week last year exactly uh, heading into this utah game like Everyone was happy that we had Mario. Everyone was still happy, like, about the the outlook of the season. Even if, you know, we were running the ball too much. Like, people still felt good about the chances for this team. We felt like we could put it together. In this season, we feel like we have it together. But I don't know, man. I just can't escape the feeling that we're there's one loss somewhere. I mean... Yeah. I don't think any Oregon fan in their right mind thinks this is a national title caliber team. Again, based on that week one game and just the absolute disparity we saw on the field. Um, so in that way, like I'm Oregon is going to have to really, really show me something and even step it up a level. I still think uh, in these last four games, if I'm going to be happy about a playoff appearance. I know the team doesn't care what Charlie thinks about getting to the playoff or not, but um, just for my enjoyment as a fan, I need, need, need the Ducks to show me something more than what they have so far. Um, I don't know. I'm just, this defense, I still can't trust it yet, especially against a really good team. Yeah. Part of it is just, you know, the caliber of opponent they play is, dictates the opportunity that this team has to prove something right i mean i mm-hmm. these these teams that they played since georgia or maybe since wazoo have not been good with the exception of the ucla game uh they just not good like at all by any not even close to good so yeah. probably not making bowl games <laughs> right yeah. well washington state might but <laughs> yeah um so it's tough to take a lot from that. And this team has, you know, the offense has looked good. Uh, the defense has had good moments, but a lot of meh to bad moments uh, and a lot of taking their foot off the gas late in games. Um, but, you know, the the one big game that they have had against UCLA was a weird one. It was, I mean, like you mentioned the conversation I had about it on no truck stops. Like it was a weird situation. Oregon's defense got a lot of help from an onside kick. They were at home sprinkles of rain happened. Although I think the national media is trying to re rewrite <laughs> history a little swirling wind. Yeah. <laughs> um, but going into the fourth quarter of that game, Oregon 
had held UCLA to 16 points and UCLA did not touch the ball in the second half once when the game was two scores or less like wow it was not you know whatever weird stuff was baked into the first half of that outcome it was never close in the second half it was never close or in doubt at all um so you know that when it comes down to it like that's an impressive win we can talk about from a predictive standpoint like how repeatable is that and I understand that conversation but in terms of like grading that game on a scale of one to ten in terms of how impressive and thorough you were dominating a top 10 opponent it's pretty close to you know uh nine and a half or something like it's not quite what Georgia did to Oregon but outside of that it was pretty dominant uh in terms of what the scoreline looked like the entire game so they were impressive in that game but we had got to see more because otherwise the opponents haven't been impressive um big part that helps with that is playing at home we know the splits all year it's huge for this game yeah i i mean you talk about this goodwill that oregon has built up throughout the season since week one i mean it's been over two months now since i had serious doubts about this team losing a game Mm -hmm. um and the crazy part is none of it matters if we lose going forward. Everything we've done from week two to week 10 straight up does not matter if we lose this game. Um, Cause we'll be out of the playoff picture. I don't know how tiebreakers work and it depends what other people's do, what other teams do in the conference, but um, well, you know, pack 12, the Pac-12 title that we've been talking about as a given is then in jeopardy if we lose this game. If, if Oregon, like all, it, I think just to clarify, I think if Oregon loses this game but beats Utah and Oregon State, they're still fine because yes, they have yeah. head-to-head tiebreakers the rest of the way. But it puts it, I mean, it makes those games must-wins the next year. Yes, weeks. exactly. Yeah, it puts those results in big jeopardy. Like, <laughs> we've been talking about this last three-game stretch all year for a reason because – no matter what we did from weeks two to 10, everything is still ahead of us in weeks 11, 12, and 13. Um, yes, the UCLA win was great. We just You just talked about why that was or wasn't as impressive as it seemed, I, <laughs> meaning it was. Um, everything is still ahead of us, man. Like This team still might have a loss left in it. Uh, and if you don't think so, then you think this is a playoff team. Because if Oregon wins out, I think, what we learned from the last playoff rankings is if Oregon wins out, I think they'll be in the playoff. Um, No contender has as tough of a schedule as Oregon does down the stretch. I think the committee knows that. I think the public, I don't really care if the public knows it or not, honestly. Um, (laughs) And uh, obviously style points still do matter in these games, but I mean, I think a lot of Oregon fans are just kind of expecting us to continue cruising like we have been. Obviously, you know, maybe not as big margin of victories, maybe more so like 14 points instead of like 40 in some of these games. But point being, like, I'm, I'm, a, little bit, I'm a little bit skeptical of the sky-high optimism that I'm seeing uh, around this fan base. But, you know, I don't, I don't want to just shit on everyone's parade. So, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you. I definitely hear you. 
I feel the same way just because we've been here before. Like every year we've been here, really. I mean, even the COVID year, it was a weird circumstance. Yeah. But I remember having conversations very similar to this when Oregon was 3-0 and about a potential playoff path and like whether Oregon would make it. Um, and as weird as it was, 3-0 and was probably in November of that year. Uh, yeah. And we were here in November last year and we were here in November of um, – 2019 so Oregon you know we are very familiar with this situation and we don't need to be reminded although maybe some of the fan base does based on some of the (laughs) you know comments on Twitter or whatever that it didn't work out the last three times um and certainly the odds you know, if if you were to literally go by the odds, are not in Oregon's favor right now. They're plus two forty to make the playoff uh, on FanDuel right now. Not bad. Hey, I wouldn't. I would not have been mad at that going into the season, nor uh, certainly not leaving the Georgia game. So plus two forty is, you know, not. I mean, yeah, are those like what fifth best odds? Yeah, those are the, the fifth best odds. Yeah. yeah, just out of USC, just behind Michigan. So. You know, that's not something to be mad at, but that number still has a plus in front of it. And it's, you know, still a pretty reasonable uh, shade above, you know, plus 150 or something like whatever that yeah. means. It's uh, I don't know. Oregon has a 20 something percent chance to make the playoff right now. 22 percent, according to 538, which we like to use. Right. So. Uh, th- that's a reasonable chance. I'll, t- you know, if you want something like the playoff, that's a roll of the dice that you should be optimistic about. But it's not like a likelihood by any stretch. Yeah, I mean, I guess what we're getting at is like the question you have to ask yourself as a fan is: Would you rather like stump for your team and really? <sighs> would you rather? accomplish something fun this season um and be proud of it whatever the case may be like even if you lose a game um or would you rather like die on the hill of Oregon being a playoff team just to get squashed again in the playoff like I can't help but avoid those two scenarios because I just I'm sorry I don't see any scenario in this in this sport where Oregon is competitive with Georgia in an uh, in any stretch um yeah or ohio state really if i'm being honest like (laughs) that's tier one and tier two and everyone else is in tier like four um you know (laughs) if michigan beats ohio state then you can just flip those two out because they're basically like at the same place as teams right now um for different stylistic reasons but regardless yeah um so you mentioned i mean we're kind of we're obviously transitioning like into playoff discussion here are you rooting for Texas against TCU this weekend? I I am. And I will say, like, the biggest thing that changed for me after this past weekend is not just that Oregon's spot to the playoff opened up. And again, you know, just to be clear, everyone put on your, like, you know, hypotheticals cap because this is <laughs> this is regardless of whether Oregon, you know, whether we think Oregon will or won't win out. This is, let's just hypothetically assume Oregon does win out, right? What's the difference there? For me, what changed about this weekend was Oregon not only has a path to the playoffs now, Oregon has a path to the three seed, I think. 
and I might wager that it's likely that Oregon gets the three seed in the case that they do win out. And that changes a ton to, for me because for me right now, I, I'd say Georgia's on tier one, as in if Oregon played Georgia, I would say Oregon has a 5% chance of winning or something like if mm-hmm. that, like there's a chance. And, you know, if you said I could sign up for Oregon in a national championship game against Georgia, like I will absolutely do it because that's a shot in the dark at a national championship. Yeah. yeah. Some, you know, lightning <laughs> it's strikes a shot. the stadium yeah. <laughs> and whatever happens, like we'll take the shot, you know? Uh, so that for me is a different equation than having to face Georgia in the first game. Um, yeah, that's a good and, point actually. And because I think, you know, Ohio state and Michigan, whether you want to say they're, you know, together in tier two, whatever I'd say against Ohio state or Michigan, Oregon has, a what a 20% chance to win 25% chance to win it's a chance mm-hmm. like I I actually think this Oregon team could do it uh it's weird but based on power rankings or power ratings like Oregon actually is what they are ranked like the Josh Pate poll which we talk about yeah. sometimes power rating has Oregon at sixth you know um mm-hmm. Oregon I think would be I don't know what their line would be against Ohio state, but we've seen Ohio state play competitive games this season against teams like, you know, against Penn state, that game was close for a while. Like could Oregon find themselves in a situation like that? Uh, and you know, if they lose, then so what you lost, but hopefully I think, you know, you're not a, I don't think you're a 20 plus point underdog to Ohio state or Michigan. Like you, I think reasonably could be to Georgia. So I'd like difference. our odds against Michigan, honestly. Yeah. Um, like Michigan in the Rose Bowl, yeah, give me that matchup all day. That'd be great entertainment. Um, and it, but again, it, I'm still down with your scenario though. If we can get the three seed and avoid Georgia in that first round, yeah, give me the smoke against like any number two. I'll I'll try a hand at Ohio State, I guess, um, or Michigan for sure. I'm curious uh, to see if you agree with this. I guess I'll call it a take. We don't like to market ourselves as people with takes, but um, I think if the Ducks win out, I think they're getting in over any of these one-loss non-conference champs. Like Tennessee, I think we're getting in over Tennessee. The Pac-12 is strong enough this season as an entire conference. We would hypothetically have, you know, four good wins down the stretch. Um and I mean, sure, Tennessee's got that Bama win, but like I said, the Pac-12 is actually good this year. I think Oregon gets in if Oregon and Tennessee win out. Um, and in that scenario on 538, actually, you can check both those boxes for both those teams winning out. Oregon would have an 87% chance to make the playoff with Tennessee at 45%, uh, which I find pretty interesting. Um, right now, though, it's sitting at Tennessee 41%, Oregon 22 Um I mean, in this scenario, like, I think Oregon definitely makes it in over a one-loss TCU. Uh, Honestly, I can envision a playoff with, like, Georgia, Ohio State, Oregon, TCU as your top four. Ohio State slash Michigan, you know, whoever wins that game and wins the conference. Um, I don't want to – again, I want to be clear. I don't want to speak any of this into existence before it happens. Like, I want Oregon to win out, of course. I want them to win every game they ever play. 
Um, I also want to enjoy my postseason as a fan. And right now, with this team as currently constituted, is that a word? I don't think the defense is good enough to win a national title. Yeah. Um, but like you said, you know, shot in the dark at a title, screw it, we'll take it. Same thing goes for Clemson, by the way. Uh, they're 8-1 and one with that pretty ugly loss to Notre Dame. We were watching that game, and it was like 35-0 to zero, uh, to begin the game. Um, UNC, North Carolina, still has 8-1, and one, quietest one-loss team in the country. Um, so I guess you count, can't fully count them out of the playoff picture yet, uh, even though they have some problems, especially on defense. Um, I don't know. I, I don't really see a path for any two-loss team to get in. Like, only oh, yeah. if LSU wins the conference, that's about it. Mm-hmm. Is there anything I'm missing here? Like, any other teams? Maybe Ole Miss? If they beat Bama, could they jump Oregon? No, like, I don't. I don't think so. Because it's as simple as this: Oregon has Southern California left on the schedule. Who's or if they meet them in the Pac-12 title game, or a team that's probably ranked that high if they have to play UCLA again, which is a more mm-hmm. impressive win than Ole Miss's over Bama is, based on what the committee's telling you. And on top of that, Oregon has a conference title if they make it there. So. I think there's no re- LSU is the only team I think could that could jump Oregon from behind them because Oregon's already ranked ahead of those teams and Oregon has the best strength of schedule remaining. Um, mm-hmm. So that seems pretty clear to me. I think that the only things you have to worry about are one, you know, if LSU beats Georgia, could they jump Oregon? Maybe, but like just like Oregon's chances against Georgia, like I'm giving LSU a Maybe because it's not technically a national title game if Georgia has a 5% greater chance to sleepwalk through it. So maybe LSU has a 10% chance to win that game. But it's very unlikely. TCU ahead of Oregon, I think like they have a 85 or 90% chance to lose a game the rest of the year. They're down seven. Yeah. They're seven-point underdogs to Texas this weekend. And even if they win that— In a home game. Yeah. <laughs> so, no. Uh, you know— that I uh, maybe that happens, but if you're just doing like what's likely, that probably doesn't happen. And one loss from TCU is enough to move them behind Oregon. I'm pretty sure. The big question, mind you, yeah, go ahead. Right now, I think we're both okay with TCU being the fourth team, right? Yeah. I mean, I think oh. we're all out of our minds if the four undefeated Power Five teams aren't the four. Yeah. Playoff teams right now. No, and I, and I, to be honest, I feel bad because like it's. I'm sure incredibly infuriating for TCU. You know, yeah, they want to win. The, they want to make the playoff, of course. But part of them are like, hey, we're having a 9-0 season. Maybe someone nationally could talk positively about us, you know. But instead it's like, <laughs> hmm, oh, I wonder where a, that feeling might come from. <laughs> you're a fraud. Like, you're 9-0, but you don't deserve to be fourth. You're not actually that good. <laughs> it's like, can we just go back to like, hey, TCU was picked middle or bottom of the Big 12 going into the year. And they're nine and zero. Like we do realize it would be a huge success if they just made the Big Twelve title game and like limped into a New Year's Six bowl. That would be cause for celebration based on preseason expectations. Um, so, Anyways. but um, you you were gearing up to say something though. Yeah. So the big questions are really to me that are very realistic. Um, questions here are. Does Oregon get ranked ahead of TCU or get ranked ahead of Tennessee by the end of the season if Tennessee maintains one loss? 
I think that's very close. It's tough to really know right now. I think the fact that Tennessee did fall behind TCU is good for Oregon. I think there's every reason to think that Oregon, I mean, it's just a fact that Oregon's resume will improve substantially more than Tennessee's resume will improve throughout the rest of the season if both of them go undefeated. Uh, Their last three games are hosting Mizzou at South Carolina and at Vanderbilt. Exactly. Not great resume builders. (laughs) Exactly. So Oregon's going to be ticked up a fair amount if Oregon can make it through a ranked team this weekend, a ranked team next weekend, a ranked team potentially if Oregon State wins their next two in in the final game of the year, or at least a team that the committee had ranked at one point, and then a ranked team almost certainly in the Pac-12 championship game. So that would be really impressive. So I tend to think that would be enough to get Oregon ahead of Tennessee. Not completely sure on that, but I would say like 70% that's enough. I don't know. Oh, I, I think more than that. I mean, I agree with this premise you're presenting. My question to you before you even started that was going to be when, not a question of if, <laughs> but when Oregon passes Tennessee. Again, assuming like, assuming all, assuming both teams win reasonably handily, um, you know, just take care of business, say yeah. by spread standards. Like Oregon beats UW by two touchdowns and Utah by like 10 points or something. Right, um, right. Exactly. I think that would do it. No matter how bad Tennessee beats those other two teams, um, I, I think you're probably right, and they could be helped as well by Alabama losing to Ole Miss or LSU losing to Arkansas. They have this weekend, I think. Both of those po- on the road, yeah, total possibilities. Um, LSU's a three point favorite in that game right now versus Arkansas. Kind of surprising. Bama's a twelve point favorite versus Ole Miss. Um, so those would be huge hits to these two big, you know, top 10 wins, quote unquote, that L- that Tennessee is holding on to right now, uh, that mm-hmm. if those teams fall, all of a sudden Oregon's potentially saying we beat UCLA, who you have as a top 15 team. We beat Utah, who even after the loss to Oregon will be a top 20 team and whoever you play again in the Pac-12 title game probably is bordering on a top 10 team, the winner of USC UCLA so uh so I I agree with you there then the other question is the winner of Ohio State Michigan you know I I assume they beat Illinois in the likely Big Ten championship so go ahead call them the two seed do you pass the team who loses that game and likely is left with one loss Hmm. um I think if it's Michigan who loses you probably do pass them because the committee didn't have a ton of respect for Michigan uh, this year. I mean, last week, I think these things show you a bit like Michigan was fifth last week. You people doing the eye tests and whatever could have called them, you know, fourth last week, easily ahead of Clemson. The fact that Clemson went ahead of them is kind of a sign like the committee doesn't respect Michigan that much that they're on thin ice, I think, with a loss to Ohio State. So in that regard, it's if Ohio State beats Michigan and Oregon takes care of business and jumps Tennessee and TCU loses, uh, which, you know, this might sound like contingencies, but everyone, let's keep in mind, TCU has an 85% chance to lose a game. Michigan, you know, one of those teams has to lose. I'm giving a bigger chance than that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) 
Um, Five thirty eight says they have eleven percent chance to win out. So right, yeah, <laughs> that info, which you will. Uh, the other side of it that I think is more interesting is does Oregon get in over Ohio State if they lose to Michigan mm. at the end of the season? What do you think about that? I think they do. Again, I mean, the co- the committee has historically put a big, big value. Some might say, well, some definitely say an oversized value um, on conference champions. And mm-hmm. this year, the conference of champions is actually a conference <laughs> worth championing for playoff purposes. Um, so, yeah, I do think I, – I don't think – anyone can stop Oregon but themselves and obviously the teams that they play against but you know what I mean I don't think any other team outside of LSU can really quote-unquote jump Oregon Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, I agree or Ole Miss if they win the SEC like you know there's tons of caveats but the SEC champion being a non-Georgia team I think is the only thing that's that's going to stop Oregon from making the playoff if the Ducks win out. And again, like we're all talking about this as if the Ducks winning out is a given or something. I yeah. still don't think that's very likely, unfortunately. Um, no, I. But yeah, we'll, I, we'll see I, how it shakes. I agree. I mean, like we said, you know, TCU's chances are ten percent or whatever. Oregon's chances Ours are, are twenty. Pro- yeah, twenty. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So we'll see. But the. I think the big reason why, you know, and again, this does not matter at all. No one cares what we at home <laughs> are or aren't rooting for. But if you if you want to think about what you want to root for and you are the type of person who was previously in the camp of let's just get to a Rose Bowl because, you know, Rose Bowls are fun and we'll might be favored in that game and we should never complain about that. And I I don't disagree with that logic at all in general. But it's always been used in contrast to the idea that we are walking into the playoff to get absolutely splattered by the number one seed (laughs) who's like Georgia. And it's different this year because I don't know if that is the case. I think Oregon actually, if they went out, has a pretty likely path to a three seed. And that means playing a game where you're like a 10 to something point underdog uh and you actually do have a 20 to 25 percent chance or whatever of winning that game and a chance at that is a chance you know that's a chance to get into the national title game and then even against georgia like you're in the national title game (laughs) you know (laughs) you have to take what you can get (laughs) yeah um i totally i agree uh all right man let's wrap this thing up with our picks and do a little national slate then we'll get out of here um you've already submitted your picks on no truck stops which you listeners should listen to uh just as i do and every other reasonable pac-12 fan that well there are no reasonable <laughs> pac-12 fans, but, um every other pac-12 sicko does um let's just breeze through these then usc is a 34 point favorite at home against colorado on friday a will you be watching this game B who covers because we know who's going to win. Yeah, that, that I uh, I don't even know if I will be watching this game. Honestly, I think it's probably one of those that I'll have the the score notifications on if I find myself in a bar <laughs> where it's on in the background. I'll I'll look at it, but it's there's just not even a world where it's probably close. But uh, I think the lines moved a fair amount in USC's favor. Thirty four, I feel a little less comfortable with. 
Um, we can use whatever updated numbers you're looking at, by the way. These are yeah, I no, put these on the spreadsheet yesterday. Yeah, uh, I'm, but uh, I'll I'll just go with USC to cover. Why not? Yeah, uh, I think Colorado showed a, a little bit of caring last week, so I'll pick them. Why not? You know, it could be a late backdoor ugly cover. We know USC is prone to giving those up, like they did last week, by the way, um, against Cal. Uh, Cal pulled that back within one score uh towards the end so which by the way i went three and two last week you went two and three you are one game over 500 (laughs) against the spread this year i am three games below it so there's there's still a chance um arizona state is at washington oh i'm picking colorado i think i already said that arizona state is at washington state the cougs are seven and a half point favorites um i'm going to go with the cougs at home because this is an ugly game that won't make a ton of sense. But I think if anyone can stop... Oh, wait, it's not even Arizona, huh? It's Arizona State. Yeah, give me give me the Cougs. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I think I liked what I saw from the Cougs last week, right? I mean, they murdered Stanford. And Stanford yeah. and Arizona played a super ugly 15-14 game earlier. Or Stanford and Arizona State, sorry. Played a super ugly 15-14 game earlier in the season. So uh, I think Washington State's that type of team that beats bad teams and loses to good teams. Uh, And so I'll go with the Cougs to win it and uh, get to bowl eligibility in the process. Yeah, give me that Pullman bump. Um, (laughs) Not not that kind of bump. (laughs) Um, You can have the – which game do you want to pick first, Oregon State or Utah? Uh, I'll go with – uh, I don't really care. I'll go with Oregon State, I guess, because it's closer spread. And I will go with the Beavs to win it. I think that this is kind of, I don't know, it could be ugly because these are two of the better defenses out there. Uh, but at the same time, I feel like I don't really trust Cal to win because they're, I just don't think they have the offensive upside to kind of put Oregon State in a tough spot. I think Oregon State will be like comfortable running the ball in a low scoring game and getting out of there with a win. Uh, with that said, a 13 and a half point spread. Mm, I guess I'll go Cal. I guess I'll go Cal because I just kind of think it'll be low. I don't know. I'll pick Oregon State. Um, yeah. <laughs> I was just going to pick the opposite of whatever you did, but I was really getting nervous about having to pick Cal. So, um, yeah, there's no reason the Beavers can't cover this spread. Um, Stanford at Utah. Utes are 24-point favorites at home. This might be one of the least-watched games of the entire season for the Pac-12. Mm. Um, I I don't. Give me Utah. Sure. I, I don't think it makes a difference. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'll take Utah too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Stanford, we thought showed signs of life beating Notre Dame, but turns out that was that was a farce. They still suck. Um, all right, well, we'll see how those shake out. Yeah, you, you, In terms of you, I think you missed uh, Arizona UCLA on here. Oh, did I? Yeah. Yeah, good call. I did nineteen and a half for UCLA. Who do you have? I think I have Arizona to cover this one. Uh, but I think UCLA still wins. I don't think the upset's coming yet, but I, yeah, I don't know. I think Arizona can score. I mean, we saw, we saw what happened with UCLA last week, letting someone back into it, uh, against Arizona state. So I feel like I could see Arizona kind of hanging around with their offense a little bit, um, and 
just being a kind of high scoring game that UCLA is winning by, you know, two to three scores until the end and it ends up falling uh, at two scores. Yeah, see, I agree with that analysis, but then I kind of sit back and I think about where I have both these teams rated in my head. UCLA is, <laughs> like, a, UCLA is like a top 15 team at home against, by all accounts, like still a bottom half team in the Pac-12, which means really, really bad. Um, give me UCLA to cover this. Uh, okay, any other games I'm forgetting about? Any other things I'm forgetting about? I don't think so. No, um, I think you're good. Though. Oh, you want to do, <laughs> speaking of things we forget about, <laughs> it's too late for this, but I have to mention MVPs from the Colorado <laughs> game. <laughs> Just because we <laughs> traditionally forget those. Christian Gonzalez is mine. Hopefully he continues and picks off uh, Michael Penix, Penix, whatever you want to call him, this weekend. Um, and Bo Nix because he caught a touchdown and that's sick. Yeah, I'll just yeah. go with Noah Sewell because he scored a touchdown and Josh Connerly because he scored a touchdown. That was <laughs> that's fun. I mean, the real MVP is Dillingham for like, yeah, honestly. The, doing those trick plays made it a lot more. I mean, I enjoy watching these blowouts even usually, but it was like added a, another level of excitement uh, as a viewer. And maybe it added that for the team too in preparation, hopefully. You mentioned Dillingham, and now I have to mention a segue to a segue. Dillingham <laughs> has been mentioned in connections with the Arizona State job. Um, nothing official yet. I haven't seen any anything real where they're reaching out to candidates. That might change when I listen to Stephen Godfrey's show when I'm done recording this one. But um, I – and, you know, in conjunction, I'll also mention Lanning getting mentions for the Auburn job. And, I mean, I don't know how many – you know, take this with a grain of salt, as always. We've learned our lessons by now. I'm not worried about these things happening because these guys haven't really proven anything yet. They haven't. Like I said earlier this episode, everything is still in front of Oregon. The last four games of the season will make or break how we perceive it as a whole. Um, so, yeah, like I, that's why I'm not worried about any, any coaching movements just yet. Um, and it's also a testament to how easy this schedule has been up until now. Other than UCLA, of course. But, you know, that's just one win. And we still did just what was expected of us, not a ton more. Um, so, yeah. Are you concerned about that stuff at all? Did, do you even want to make a comment or no? Uh, I'm, I'm trying to not give it much air in general. Uh, I think okay, I mean, we can move on. Yeah, I, I'm not worried about it. Uh, especially the nature of the uh, landing report is kind of weird. Um, but you know, I also <laughs> like we've we've been through this conversation before in past coaches, and uh, many in the Oregon fan base, probably including myself, had said have said some dumb things in retrospect. So <laughs> I'm not trying to go on the record too much. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, yeah. Uh, no one is forcing us to say anything. So. <laughs> Uh, and that goes for you too, dear listener. Don't embarrass yourself on the internet. Um, weekend slate, sleep in. There's not a whole lot going on in the morning. Um, is there any like early game that, that catches your eye in this at all? Uh, let me pull up the slate real quick. LSU Arkansas is pretty much the only one of consequence. Yeah. Like maybe, maybe if Missouri can keep it close at Tennessee, but that's probably unlikely. I'm just not seeing a lot of any compelling matchups or real storylines in like any of these 
early games. I I agree. I think Arkansas LSU will be the one that I'm uh, glued to the most and rooting for an LSU loss because that helps Oregon. Do you know where game day is this week, by the way? Uh, It is at Texas TCU. But more importantly, do you know where uh, the every given Saturday tour of Josh Pates is this weekend? Uh, I think I can make a guess. <laughs> is it in New Orleans? It's in New Orleans, baby. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Roll away. <laughs> Insane. Insane. Best color scheme in the country, other than the green and yellow. Yeah, other than the green and yellow. Uh, big game. Huge game for yeah. Tulane. That will be... Yeah, UCF coming to town. Yeah. Yeah, yeah uh, I mean, Tulane is just somehow made it to eight and one uh pretty ridiculous that they are here and they are one and a half point favorites against ucf so i'm the uh, other thing you know what i forgot to i forgot to slide this into the playoff discussion earlier but uh usually we have the added diciness of an undefeated g5 team and we don't have that this year closest we got is Tulane. so good job losing one game i guess like it's perfectly positioned to still be that new year's six team but not involve themselves in playoff discussion so, yeah i'm hoping yeah, i'm hope, i'm hoping for a two-lane bama new year six bowl and just <laughs> give me a chance or a big letdown game from alabama and you just old school sec old rivalry school. come on the narratives are there even <laughs> lsu even even two-lane lsu would be awesome so i'll take either of those oh that would be sick yeah in state um what else at that noon slot? Looks like Alabama at Ole Miss is then. Um, uh, Iowa State, <laughs> Oklahoma State. God, this is this is a it's rough ugly. one. Ugly. Clemson's um, only a seven point favorite of Louisville, but I like. I mean, it's weird. I I actually Clemson might have a shot at the playoff still as ugly as that that's is. crazy we barely mentioned clemson in that whole thing yeah um, uh, they don't have a shot above oregon so it's not of that much consequence uh but i guess you know maybe if i'm really bored i'll tune into them but they just play such ugly football and the acc really is it's just bad yeah this year. it's bad it's just bad speaking of miami at georgia tech uh on your illegal streaming site <laughs> we do not condone illegal streaming because it is illegal please don't sue us um arizona state washington state same time frame good god we're scraping the bottom of the barrel here uh the late slate is really where it's at in prime time washington and oregon you got georgia at mississippi state tough test for the dogs against the other dogs um k-state at baylor can i interest you in a north carolina wake forest perhaps no no uh, you, no you cannot a&M Auburn no uh, uh yeah geez this is an interesting weekend Washington TC- Oregon is TCU Texas might- at 4 30 is uh will have my interest for yeah, sure but yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah I mean Oregon Washington playing a barely top 25 Washington is unironically like the fourth best game of the entire slate I honestly think Hello. there's a chance Oregon could have gotten game day this weekend if they hadn't gotten it against UCLA, given that uh, they already went to Texas for the Bama game. Yeah, good point. See, I thought that Texas game was at TCU, but that definitely changes the equation. I'm now mm-hmm. fully expecting Texas to win that game. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, unless Ewers goes uh, out to continue the streak for TCU. <laughs> yeah. You'll be able to catch the second half of the Beavers game as soon as the Duck game is over in all likelihood. Uh, so you can just watch that, and then by then the Arizona State, Arizona and UCLA game will be at halftime. So, you know, if you want to just plan your binge nap. Um, all right, man. Is there anything else? Like, this? that's a surprisingly weird weirdly bad weekend um it's very top heavy with like a few really good matchups and then but even then there's no marquee matchup like we've had the last few weeks so um anything else yeah that, that pretty much hits it i'm doing my game of the week uh Substack yes. preview thing on uh on oregon washington because that's that's really by far the best game in the pac 12 this weekend um and notably i think you know this is kind of the last weekend before things take off next weekend we have uh Mm -hmm. the utah oregon game uh which i think we will both be at uh as well as the usc ucla game which has you know is of great consequence for the conference title race so excited for both of those uh and you know continuing into rivalry weekend over thanksgiving after that so yeah, it's a shame that one of those two big Pac-12 games will be on at an unwatchable hour for most of the country, but you know, take what you can get, I guess. Um, and, of course, it's, you, we already know. I'm calling my shot now. Oregon-Utah is going to be that late slot, um, no matter what the results are from this weekend. Like, they want the L.A. teams in that in that earlier slot. So there's a bunch of drama about it. Essentially, Fox wouldn't let ESPN move the other game up to an earlier time. It's a whole fiasco. Um, oh my God. Wilner's got to call him about it. If you really care about the nitty gritty. So go check that out. Other than that, uh, we will leave you with a good hearty go ducks. Go ducks.